Oh my goodness. The summer of Bond is upon us. Welcome to Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Noah. And we're going to talk about, for the next two episodes, what was deemed the summer of Bond, although one of these films got delayed till December. Which is, uh, this episode we're talking about Octopussy, the official Bond film, but next time we'll be talking about the unofficial legal nightmare drama, Never Say Never Again. But for this video, we will talk a little bit about Never Say Never Again because it affected certain decisions with the film Octopussy. Also, before we get into that, we'll talk about the book of short stories, Octopussy in the Living Daylights which is a really weird release for, out of all these Fleming books because it's been released differently twice. Initially, these there were two short stories that Fleming hadn't published called Octopussy and The Living Daylights. Um, and they were the last two sh uh, stories to be published by Fleming. He, they were published after his death. Um, Octopussy... It's about a guy who has an octopus that he's called Octopussy. And he's basically... Bond has investigated him. He's done something wrong like against the British government. I can't remember what specifically. And he basically kills himself. Yeah, so the thing that he did is back in the day, he stole, like... I think it was, like, Nazi gold or something. Yes. And he mur and he murdered an um was it an Austrian or a Swiss person that was yes. like his, his guide from the mountains? He threw his body off a cliff. I kinda remember that. Exactly, yeah. And that's uh, the interesting part because all of that is in the movie we're gonna talk about. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially Octopussy it's the story about Bond investigating this guy who was like a greedy uh, you know, bested and just murdered someone for money. And mm. now his past has come back to haunt him. And the connection is Bond is supposed to, like, just arrest him for his crime in the past. Mm -hmm. But the guy that Smythe is his name, the guy that Smythe has murdered was a father figure to young James Bond. He was something Oberhauser. Which, oh, that is the connection God. to Spectre. Yes, that's right. I, don't, I can't remember his first name right now, but yeah. So Smythe murdered Oberhauser. Oberhauser was Bond's like legal, you know, guardian. parental guardian, parental After figure. After his because... parents died, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that's why Bond is invested in the case. And essentially at the end, he leaves the guy two options. Be arrested or take the easy way out with some honor and commit suicide. And it has a dark, bitter, twisted ending in the way that he dice. Yeah, and we will save that. Check yeah. that out. It's actually a really good story. Mm -hmm. um, the Living Daylights, which we'll, we'll bring up briefly when we talk about the film, is Bond's supposed to be a sniper, and it's not his thing. He's supposed to assassinate someone, and he sees this... I think she is a cello player. Yeah. In the short story, and um, he starts like romanticizing what it'd be like to talk to her and stuff because he's stuck in this hotel room. In I, are they in East Germany? In the book, I, I think they are. Um, yeah, yeah, they are definitely in Germany because one detail I remember enjoying: Bond is so bored, you know, having just to sit there and wait for his chance to snipe someone. Uh, he bought a German BDSM novel. That's right, and they take turns reading it because there's another guy in there with them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right, and it turns out that well, we won't spoil. We'll talk about that. I mean, just you know, this story is basically completely adapted, like pretty faithfully in uh, the Living Daylights. Yes, and, and they f they flush it out more for the film. Mm -hmm. It's a great, great scene in there. Um, then later they added two more short stories that had been published 
other places. The first was Property of a Lady, which technically, if you read Octopus in the Living Daylights now, Property of a Lady is put between those the two title stories. This was written for a magazine, and it's Bond is trying to get a Fabergé egg. Like, he's at an auction house. They're trying to spot someone that was a criminal or something like that. There's not much to it. There's something interesting, though. Uh, this Fabergé egg being sold, it's like payment for a double agent working in the MI6. And it's yeah. it's a woman. And what's fascinating, that woman is mentioned in one of the Bond novels. I want to say it was Majesty's Secret Service or something. Oh, okay. oh no, it was Man with the Golden Gun. That oh. case is mentioned directly. Okay. Yeah, so we got okay. a cool little connection there. Interesting. Um, it was written for, uh, what was the magazine? Uh, Sotheby's or something? It, it was something like that. Fleming had an obsession with weird things like diamonds, <laughs> Fabergé eggs. Uh, and this is one of those tangents, but it's an entire short story that basically is a tangent. And then the other one is Double uh, 007 in New York, which was written for like a New York guide. It was some travel thing, because that's another thing uh, that was Fleming's original jo job, you know, writing about like places he, has, he had visited. That's one of his books, uh, Thrilling Cities, mm -hmm. where he talks about, you know, the big cities all over the world that he visited. And I think it's not just a rumor. I think the case was Fleming talked so bad about America. And he also wrote bad about America in his novels. And I think 007 in New York, the short story, was kind of like an apology mm -hmm. in a way. Because it's just like the story is Bond walking through New York, being amazed by things and being like, oh, I want to do this. This is going to be fun. You know, this interesting place here and there. And that's essentially it. The plot yeah. is just that he's going to warn a fellow agent that there is a like double agent seducing him or her. I know it was adapted partially in the Quantum of Solace ending, you know, with Vespa's boyfriend. Oh, I didn't yeah. catch that at all. That's oh, the thing. No, this is awful. It's an awful, and I don't say that lightly. It's an awful short story that ends with the recipe for scrambled eggs. That's Bond's legacy now. That's that is the last thing Fleming ever had published in a in the 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 Fleming books. That's how they end. Isn't okay? Is it fair to say 007 in New York is the worst Fleming Bond story? Because even with yeah. something you just like, yeah, like Spy Who Loved Me, that has more ambition. Spy Who Loved Me has a great third act when Bond shows up. Mm. It's scary. It's interesting. Like, it's uncomfortable. Um, also leads to my favorite analysis of Bond that is contradicted by On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is that Bond cannot be held down by any, just one woman. Which is, sounds more interesting than I put it, but like, it, it's kind of true. And then on Her Majesty's Secret Service happens, which I like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but what has never worked for me is the love story. Hmm. I think so, we agreed that it works better in the movie. It does. Hmm. Um, but anyway. That's um, a good segue. Yes. I just I just lost my brain. Let's talk about let's talk about Octopussy. All right. Let's talk about how this was supposed to be the first appearance of James Brolin as Bond. In fact, there's test footage out there of his um they they reenacted a scene from From Russia with Love. And it's actually pretty good. And you know who else did the same screen test with the same scene? Who? Sam Neill. Sam Neill, that's right. And that was for Living Daylights, wasn't it? 
I think it was also Octopussy, but yeah, around this time when they were just looking for other actors. They were looking for younger Bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but Never Say Never Again came up, went, finally started becoming a thing. And Sean Connery, in a, in a act of pure spite, signed on <laughs> to play Bond. <laughs> Again, so in yeah. a state of panic, uh, the Broncos asked Roger Moore to come back. That is such a great story. And we are not exaggerating in the slightest. It's like Connery, no, he just disliked Cubby Broccoli so much. Yeah. Like, even though he hated playing Bond, he had to return for this. Yes. Oh my God. And so. So Cabby Broccoli asked Roger Moore to come back because at this point we talked about this in the last video, the last, well, the last podcast they, that his, his contract was on a film to film basis at this point. And he's basically only doing this for the fans, for his fans. Uh, but yep. it does not hinder Octopussy in any sort of way. So Octopussy, the film, is the short stories Octopussy and Property of a Lady. Yeah. And, and we get lot. both titles in the film. Like, yeah. literally, he's, when he says Property of a Lady. Um, do you want to get into what Octopussy is about? Sure. The, good the, plot, the plot is kind of convoluted. Yes. Okay, in short... Mm-hmm. since going into detail is going to be way difficult a rogue Russian military guy Orlov is working with a guy called Kamel Khan and they are in league with a separate smuggling organization led by a woman called Octopussy and it's like an octopus cult so to speak only women in the smuggling operation and who also work as a circus mm-hmm and essentially, they help Orlov and Kamel Khan with financing Orlov's plan. And his plan is just to create um, uh, tension and have a situation escalate so he can invade, like start the invasion of the West, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and they're going to use a nuclear weapon to detonate in West Germany. Uh, and make it look like an accident. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. It's it's a weird plot, but I'll tell you what, it works. Yeah, somehow it does work. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it at all because it's so convoluted. But I think it has to do with how fun this movie is. Yep. Um, some of my. Well, first of all, the the rogue Russian is also played a Russian in Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Mm-hmm. He's the the sado uh, the sadistic um, KGB agent that tortures Rambo, <laughs> and it that if you read the novelization, gets uh, sexual pleasure from that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he plays deranged Russian really well. Yeah, he's so fun over the top in this. Oh yeah, and that's the point of this. Oh yeah, this okay, so this is like hot and cold with like For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy. Mm-hmm. For Your Eyes Only like really down to earth just classy type of Bond movie. And this one the story is bananas but it has but it is like down to earth in a way with like Cold War and stuff. Yes. But it has a much higher fun factor. But at the same time, it's not as over the top as like Spy Who Loved Me. Or definitely not Moonraker. Yes. And we're dealing with Bond being old. Mm-hmm. Again. Um, done well. Done well, yes. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Ra- uh, we got a new M. Right. And it works. Yeah. He's a good actor. We had him before as another character 
I think it was in Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. He played like Admiral Hargrave or something. Mm -hmm. And they do it perfectly. Uh, Money Penny gets an assistant. Oh, yes. That Her only one and only appearance of uh, Penelope Smallbone. Yes. And that's fun. We have we have some changes happening for Bond that are not followed up. Nope. Um, Bond is switched to the Walther P5, but they still call it the PPK for some reason. It's not the same gun. It doesn't look the same. It actually fits Roger Moore's hand now. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. We get another double O in this. We get double O nine, who was killed in the beginning. Oh yeah, which we have to talk about because that's yeah, great. He's disguised as a clown, and he's chased by these twins. Which I'm not sure if they were actual twins or if it's just the same actor playing two different roles. That will, oh, then if that's the case, that's extremely well done. I think it may be actual twins. Uh, either way, it works, and they're knife throwers. They're chasing this poor guy through the woods. And we have no idea what this is about or that he's a double O agent at first, which, you know, creates some mystique. Like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, because we have a weird tonal shift because the beginning of this film is it's so fun. It's, so f it's a little standalone James Bond film. Yeah, where Roger Moore is disguising himself as a guy who also is Roger Moore. <laughs> Who's uh, Cuban? They're Cubans. Mm -hmm. So blatantly, the the Cubans, and he's Bond's supposed to blow up this like spy plane thing, and then he gets caught, and then he escapes with the help of uh, this woman, and then he has a fold out a foldable plane that comes out of a car, yeah. a, a horse trailer. And then he flies and he ends up blowing everything up and then it, for some reason, takes regular gas. Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't, but it's a great way to end the sequence. Fill her up, please. It's so great. And then we get All Time High, which has grown on me as a good Bond song. I used to hate it. Hmm. It's kind of boring. It's kind of meh. But I mean, I'm as a Bond song, I've heard the complaint that it's like a fine like 80s love song, but as a Bond song, it, it's missing a certain pep, but yeah, I, I think I it's fine. I think it works. Especially how it's, how it's worked into the score. I like it. Yes. And then now, then we get to 009 being chased by knife-wielding twins, which we won't, I won't go into too much, but it's, it's kind of terrifying. He does turn into a bad dummy <laughs> at one point. I love, I love when people use dummies in films. Because they look so the plain goofy. This one looks deflated. <laughs> and then he ends up at the uh, British Embassy with a knife in his back with a Fabergé egg that's a fake. Mm -hmm. Which Bond gets assigned to with... Um, I can't remember. It's someone from the Property of a Lady story. I can't remember his name. But there's... Oh. I think he's also called James. I think that's the thing because he calls him Jim. Mm -hmm. So we get they're they're there to to figure out who the seller is, and that's essentially the entire property of a lady short story. Exactly, but with the 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 octopusy movie characters are in there. Yeah, and um, I like it how it works in. Bond switches the egg, the the eggs. He gets the seller to to bid up for a fake, which is pretty funny. Oh Who's yeah, our Bond villain. Um, his name's escaping me right now. Uh, Kamal Khan. Kamal Khan, not Kamala Khan, who's Miss Marvel. <laughs> Kamal Khan. Um. But Bond basically, for the most part, this movie takes place in India. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, it's the perfect... I think that's part of the reason why it's so fun. That's the perfect just place for, like, an exotic James Bond adventure. It's, like, the only time they've ever filmed in India. 
which which is a shame. I think they should probably do it again instead of just going to Italy for every Craig movie. <laughs> or um, how many times have they gone to Jamaica? Hmm. That's another one. I get that was Fleming's favorite place on the planet, but still, it it gets old. But filming in India, we have some great scenes that could only happen in India. Yeah, the crowd scenes, good the crowd stuff. scenes are hilarious. Um, we do get a great Moonraker novel nod between our. Bond villain and Bond, they're playing dice instead of cards, but um, Bond figures out that he's cheating and uses his dice, which are magnetic, I guess, or they're weighted so like he can get double sixes. Mm-hmm. And Kamal Khan basically quotes Hugo Drax and says, spend this quickly. Yeah, which was nice. Because I remember you told me, this is just the Moonraker scene. And I was like, because I remember the scene, but I was like, oh, this is just copying Goldfinger, essentially. You know, the golf with Goldfinger. Yes. And then, but then he said those lines, and it's like, wow, that's directly lifted. That's kind of awesome. And then we have Turban Man who breaks the, smashes the dice. Similar to Odd Job again. Yes. Yeah. I like him. I like him as like the Bond villain muscle. Yeah, he's pretty good in this. He's he's one of the ones I remember from the Moore era. Him and the little guy from uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Oh yeah. And Jaws, of course. Jaws is the big one, obviously. Jaws is the iconic one. I mean, they put him in uh, Everything or Nothing, the uh, Pierce Brosnan video game. <laughs> Like Jaws, and it doesn't make any sense. Oh my. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. We we have one of the greatest chase scenes in a more Bond film. Yep. With, With weird... one of the greatest side characters. VG. Yes, I wanted to bring that up. The, the side characters for the MI6 um, India branch I guess so. Great. And it's a shame they're only in this. Yeah. I, I mean, that's... I think that's with, like, most of the more era ones, when it's, like, a different country mm-hmm. uh, branch. It's like, oh, we get these characters, but only for this location, essentially. I don't think we've had this strong as side characters that weren't Felix Leiter since Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Hmm. Maybe. Because we have... I'm trying to think here, because we had a bunch of them in the Conray era. We had... Uh, what's his face? From from Russia with Love. We had Tiger Takanaka from... Uh, you oh, You Only, only Live Twice. Twice, yeah. We have Tracy's family in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and we really don't have anyone... We got Felix in Live well, and Let Felix Die. Is different. Yeah, Felix is just Felix, but Felix shows up periodically. Except for the Mu era. He shows up in Live and Let Die and that's it. Yeah. That's that's really you really don't get a lot of like strong allies for Bond. You get strong Bond women, like the Bond girls, after a while, start being strong characters, but that's really it. And we got J.W. Pepper in two movies. Oh, he does nothing well, except for hijinks. Yeah, that's what he's good at. That. Ugh. But uh, VJ, what I love about him, his introduction alone. Bond arrives in India with with the plane, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. Looks beautiful, by the way. Like I said, India, just a great place for, like, adventure movies. Yes. Um, So Bond lands. He's walking up to, like, a marketplace or something, and there's this guy uh, playing, you know, like, Snake Charmer, what you call it, playing the the flute. Yeah. And he's 
playing the 007 theme and Bond is like, oh, my theme music. That's great. It's so weird. That's a fourth wall break. Love it or hate it, but I think that's great. Oh, it's a great nod. And then he just leaves the snake. Yeah, which I think I've heard it's because like the actor who's also named VJ like has like a phobia, like he hated snakes. But I did, yeah, and he, he says, "Oh, I shouldn't have picked this cover." Mm-hmm. And I just laugh because there's now a poisonous snake <laughs> running rampant through this <laughs> this overpopulated city. <laughs> well, <laughs> but um, it's such a great like Roger Moore hijinks. Although he loses the gun mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah, just, but then it's also kind of fun because then he has to come up with like, you know, different ways to defeat the enemy, like throwing someone on hot coals, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. when he throws all the money away that he had just won. Yeah, which is a great scene. Which is a great Bond moment because that's something that the Fleming character would do, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really mean anything to him. My personal favorite though is when he he takes the sword swallower and he pulls the sword out and fights a bunch of people, he just hands her back, he's like, you're gonna have to put that away yourself. Yeah, that's great. I also like when he gets stabbed, like we have this dramatic moment and we first see, oh, that's just like like this big stash of money. Yeah, he gets stabbed stabbed and protected him. It's the the um, the money. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually stab him. Yeah, and I mean, what's also great about the chase, like similar with For US Only, with the shitty yellow uh Volkswagen or whatever it was. Yeah. In this, we have like these specific like Indian cars. I don't know what what they are called, but they are amazing. They're like a crossover between a golf car and a motorcycle. Mm. And theirs has like an actual car engine in it, which is really funny because it does the wheelie. Oh yeah. It basically does what most if you ever ride a trike, like a motorized tricycle, like the Harley ones the they have the two in the back and the one in the front. Because it's different because they have the weird spider ones, which are the two in the front and the one in the back, which is basically like riding a quad. But if you have a typical trike, they tend to do that. <laughs> it's because there's more weight in the back and the rear the rear rear wheel drive. So you'll just go, whoo. <laughs> it's just it's it's funny. Uh mm-hmm. you just pop wheelies. Um, it's it's a fun fun little chase. The way they get away is pretty funny too. Yep. With Not the, disappointed. They, no. Uh, it's pretty good. Sorry, if you hear if you're hearing a lot of engines going, my uh, neighbor has woken up and decided to work on his car again today. It's That's just great. We, yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, but this. But this great chase scene in India leads us to the Q scene. Because this is something in like every Roger Moore film. I don't I guess it started in Thunderball, mm-hmm. where Q is just sent like to the country where Bond is at, and he just establishes his own like new Europe. laboratory. Yeah. And he gets the acid pen. I love the acid pen. Yeah. Which has a which is shared with Never Say Never Again that has another weird pen. Yeah, and I think first appearance of like an acid pen was in the Casino Royale spoof from '67. They used the same joke. It's good for writing like uh, poisonous pen letters. Yes. Same joke. Oh lord. Um, uh, But the best joke we all know what it is in that scene. Oh, when he's just. Filming that woman's breasts. Yeah, because Bond is like, oh, new flat screen TV and the camera. Points it at the secretary's breasts, zooms in and out like a child, which I like because that's essentially what it is because he just does it to annoy Q. Yes, it's a lot better Q scene than what was in For Your Eyes Only. We didn't even talk about that with the weird... Oh, we didn't. That's a shame. Um, I mean, that's kind of funny because they are just like... When we make the cut and they are there, like after... Hours later, they are the last ones left in the building. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he was like, it's all right, I'm going to close shop later. 
Yeah. But um yeah, it's a better it's a better Q scene. Um I just for in my opinion, Roger Moore and Q, like Roger Moore's Bond and Q, I think have the best banter hmm. of any of them. Uh, any of the other bonds. Yeah. Because Roger think Moore is just like the king of the one-liners. Mm-hmm. It just delivers them so well. It, not to not to knock on like Sean Connery. He, he has some great one-liners too. Great lines. But Roger Moore, I, it's like he could come up with them like that. Like really quick. Yeah, I think the Moore era just has the more memorable stuff with Q. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my favorite Q line we haven't gotten to yet. And that's in the Living Daylights. Mm. With uh, the Ghetto Blaster. Oh, <laughs> great scene. <laughs> Which we'll get to in a few episodes. <laughs> that, that that makes me cackle every time. But, but it's just like, Q has gotten to the point where he's now just elderly. We even, he isn't super elderly yet. That's that's Brosnan era where he's just really, yeah, where he's obviously reading off like big cue cards. Yes, yeah, he's old, definitely older than. I mean, it kind of still works because Roger is also older. Yes, Q is so it's not as jarring as like in Goldeneye, or where, where it feels well, in, like legitimately in... mean spirited with Brosnan annoying Q? Yeah, because you don't get that with Dalton. Dalton Dalton and Q pretty much get along. Oh, yeah, especially License to Kill. Well, yeah, because they're working together. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's the ultimate Q film. Yeah. Q has some good moments in this movie. Oh, yeah. One moment, especially at the end. But... Um... We get to my favorite Q device, I think, ever, because it's so stupid. Just the alligator suit. <laughs> or crocodile. I think it, they have crocodiles in India. Yeah. But it's a great... Oh, this thing, this great thing is so stupid. And it's, it is logic. It drives me nuts. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. So... Bond sneaking to where I think I'm skipping over some stuff here. This is Bond captured first before he does this. Bond is captured. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's cap- captured a lot. He's captured and basically held against his will over the fabric the egg. The egg's important until it's not. Yeah. So the big thing with the Q the first Q's branch scene, they put a tracker in the actual Fabergé egg. Yeah, and then, oh, then we get the first Bond girl in this, the blonde one. Yes. Oh, which I want to talk about because that has one of my favorite Roger Moore moments. Okay, so this blonde woman, she's working with Kamel Khan, but she's part of Octopussy's, you know, smuggling crew. Um, She and Bond get it on. Uh, and of course. Obviously. Uh, but the, again, this one works with Bond's age because it's not necessarily just like, oh, she's attracted to him because he's Bond, even though he's old. It's like, no, she's there for a reason. She wants to get the Fabergé egg. Mm-hmm. Again, they are smart about Roger's age in subtle yes. ways. But that scene, that's when Bond learns about the octopusy thing because she has an octopus tattoo. And yes. he sees that in bed. And when his face when she says oh that that's my little octopusy and Roger Moore's face like he almost breaks the fourth wall looking at the camera he's just like hmm it's the best reaction ever (laughs) and I want to bring this up because octopusy like with for your eyes only really deals with his age in all facets of pretty much all the facets of being bought an older bond never say never again does bring this up and then does nothing with it and yeah. i don't know how much it has to do with bad writing or how much it had to do with sean connery's ego maybe 50 50 yes um 
<laughs> so, so more is being held uh, captive. He sneaks out with the acid pen. He actually he has a listening device to hear what's going on. Finds out the Russians are involved. Um, and then the big escape. I want to talk about this: the elephant chase. Yep, because this thing is the only thing I remembered from this was the Tarzan swing, which is terrible. But most of the, this is a nightmare fuel. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, Bond's unarmed and he's being hunted down by all these very angry East Indians. And they're mostly on foot, but a few of them are on elephants. And Kamal Khan is one of them. And they're just hunting him for sport. It's like the most dangerous game. Yeah. But I didn't realize that people used elephants for hunting. It, it, I, I guess that's a thing. Yeah. I feel bad for the elephants because they got big old ears. Mm. But it makes sense that you would hunt from the back of an elephant because elephants are really intelligent. If people hunt on horseback, you know, that's and horses aren't the most smart thing in the world. Mm. As someone who's ridden a horse, you'd rather ride a mule. Just take my word for it. They might be stubborn, but there are reasons. If they if they stop for any reason, there is a good reason for it. Mm. But yeah, that whole scene, it's really intense. I mean, he walks and through I love it. spider web with the tarantula. Yeah. Mm. Ugh, which I think is kind of a nod to Dr. No. Maybe. Mm. But I, there's the tiger. Yeah, it's, it's just like one dangerous thing after the other. And then I, it's a shame this, that the only thing people remember is the Tarzan yell. Because I can see why it's in there. It's because the scene is so intense and they want to throw in just like... Because this is just supposed to be the big epic fun movie. Mm -hmm. So we have intense moments, but we gotta sprinkle in some comedy. Yeah, because otherwise you end up with the Moonraker woman being eaten by Dobermans. Yeah, and you don't want it, at least not in this movie. No, and I think they learn from their mistake with that. Mm -hmm. um, which it ends with him swimming to a tour boat. Yeah, because then the bad guys can't, they can't just murder everyone, so he's safe then. Yeah, and, and she's like, no, I took the... Uh, I got the economy to work. <laughs> yeah. Again, move with good one-liners. But uh, we get to the alligator the alligator suit. Which is the other thing I think everyone... Pe I think people remember three things about this movie. Mm -hmm. The Tarzans yell, they remember the alligator suit, and they remember Roger Moore painted as a clown. Yeah. But they don't remember the contexts for any of it. No, and that's the problem. Because in context, if like if we just look at these three moments on itself, yeah, sure, we make fun of it. But on it, like in context, it works just fine. Yes. Especially the clown bit, which I'm always annoyed when people bring it up. Well, because I I brought it up because I didn't remember why. Because I don't. I this is the one I don't. I've seen the least of all the the classic Bond movies. This and, um, oh, what's the other? Uh, Die Another Day. Mm. I, I... There we go. Sorry, lost connection there. All fine, I'm back. <laughs> um, but so, so. Octopussy's cult. I don't even like calling it a cult. I, I I think it's a woman society. Yeah, it's it's this circus smuggling group. Mm -hmm. It's weird, but yeah. Um, and it's all beautiful women. Obviously, they live on an island that's surrounded by like crocodiles. So Bond uses a suit to swim across and sneak in. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Um, our, our turban fellow and a guy who has the weirdest weapon I've ever seen. Oh, the like the chainsaw yo-yo. Yeah, it's like a buzzsaw yo-yo. It's so weird. Um, it's great, but it's extremely impractical because he has to constantly be above you. 
and like I don't want to be like like I don't know enough about East Indians' culture, like their traditional weaponry. There's some wild weapons in this movie. Like, I'm not talking guns. I'm talking, like, swords and weird clubs and stuff in this. And I don't know how much of it is, like, traditional East Indian, like, melee weapons and what was made up because it's a Roger Moore Bond film. I'm go- I'm just gonna guess the buzzsaw yo-yo isn't accurate, <laughs> but it's a great like weapon for an evil henchman. Yeah, and those guys just swim across, no problem, without the, because I guess the crocodiles took a fifteen-minute break, apparently, all at the same time. And so, Bond Bond sneaks on the island. He meets Octopussy, who is a previous Bond. Bond girl? Wasn't she? No, in? no, 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 no. She gives the oh, oh, the actress. You mean the actress was the actress is Maud Adams. Adams. She was uh, Scaramanga's girlfriend in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, but different character, obviously, because obviously that, that character died. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is for all the people with like a James Bond as a code name theory. Explain this one. It's the continuity's light with yeah. the Bond movies. Just I want reusing actors, mm-hmm. just like the new M. Yes, yes, just like how Bond changes actors and Felix changes actors. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it. Although we're getting to the point where. When we get to the living daylights and Bond suddenly younger, mm-hmm. that that that's a weird change. But... Almost everyone is younger in that one. Yes, yes, we'll get to that though. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this with this scene, Bond infiltrating the place and the bad guys following, we get should we spoil it with uh, VJ his uh, exit out of the oh movie. yeah that's upsetting. Yeah, that is re- that is more upsetting because usually this like sacrificial lamp character is like a Bond girl in a way, mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah. They, I like that they did it differently. It's it's so tiring that we just yeah yeah. It's nice to change it up, but at the same time, this made me realize I think this was more hard hitting than any of the female deaths because mm-hmm. I actually really like VJ as a sidekick. Yeah, because they give him a lot of character, and this is just this movie is just written better. Yeah, like those earlier more films, like Man with the Golden Gun, for instance. You don't really care about Scaramanga's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bond nearly broke her arm. Oh yeah, after putting that her awkward, in the shower. Yeah, that awkward scene where he tried to pretend to be Sean Connery didn't work yeah. but you know they they found out what works in octopusy yes well they found out before this but yeah yeah but, but. Uh, we get a bond girl that's closer to bond's age and i really like this yeah this may be probably not the last time but it's just nice having it yeah especially the craig era yeah, where they had the opportunity to do it and, and then backed out. And they had a better actress. Yes. Oh, that's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, we get a great fight scene with all these dudes swinging clubs and the buzzsaw yo-yo. And it's just great. And even Roger Moore's fighting, I think, is fine in that scene. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's not um, View to a Kill where you can blatantly see the stuntman. It actually looks like Roger is just, you know, yeah, actually beating the guys. It's fun. I will say it's not as good as some of the fighting in Never Say Never Again. Hmm. Um, but the ultimate thing is one of these guys, I think it's Buzzsaw guy and Roger Moore fall out the window into the water and the crocodiles realize that they've been sleeping on the job. So they all show up again. Mm. And you think that bond got eaten by a crocodile, but no, 
He just got he, it. He became a crocodile. He became a crocodile, which was very bizarre. I don't quite understand how that happened. I think... Okay, so it's confusing because at that scene, Bond and the buzzsaw guy fall into the water. Then a crocodile shows up, and which looks kind of fake. And then we just see, like, we hear the buzzsaw guy scream in pain, and then we see some blood. Yes. And I took it as that wasn't an actual crocodile. It was the suit. I don't... I... And then Bond was the one who killed him and then took the, the crocodile outfit. But, yeah, it's it's kind of confusing. You can yeah. also just take it as Bond escaped one crocodile who was busy with Basso. Yeah, guy, we, but... we rushed through that. Bond was there, like, an entire day. Oh, yeah, he was. Um... Oh, but that, uh, that reminds me, before we forget... Uh, Octopussy mentions her backstory, which is the Octopussy short story about yes. uh, Smythe and how Bond allowed him to kill himself. Um, they got rid of the Nazi gold connection and said, like, oh, it's gold from somewhere else because we're and not going to... That's fine. Yeah, That's fine. This is the 80s. Like, we we can leave the World War Two stuff. Yeah, we don't want to make Roger look even older. Even though he was born in 1927. Yeah, but but still, we can leave that out. Uh, but I like it. I I think it's nice. Same with Property of a Lady. I like how the short stories are worked into this. Mm -hmm. Same previously with For Your Eyes Only. They are getting yeah. clever. We're taking tidbits, and we're splicing them together to make a film. Yeah, which we get with almost all of the John Glenn stuff. Thinking about it. Yeah, because For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy. Living Daylights, License to Kill, uh, but then, I guess, View to a Kill, not really. That That is the odd one out. Did he direct that? He did. Oh, I would not talk about that. <laughs> if I were him. <laughs> that movie is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. He directed all of the 80s Bond, which makes sense, because it pretty much all has the same flow. Yeah. Even A View to a Kill has a similar flow. The only one, the outlier, is License to Kill. Yeah, that, that went ultra 80s with, like, drug cartels and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but like we said, the Dalton era, these two movies very much are, like, uh, hardcore 80s. Like, mm -hmm. what we think nowadays when we think, like, 80s nostalgia. I mean, we have AHA. We have hardcore Cold War spy thrillers, drug cartels. All the stuff is in there. Yeah. So we're getting to really the the end of this film where we go to East Germany uh, because now all the parties are meeting up. They're setting up the nuke. Uh, Bond infiltrates and in, which we get the greatest Bond headshot I've ever seen because you know Bond's a marksman. And we don't we haven't seen that a lot lately in these more films. I mean half the time he loses the gun, but he shoots a, a, a Russian in the forehead. Oh yeah, when he's interrogating Orlov, the villain. Yes, he shoots a dude base in the forehead. We don't get the blood because that'd be an R rating. Yeah. Although but... we did get a bunch of boobage going on. On Octopussy's Little Island, which I'm almost certain was because these films were not meant to be in remastered in high definition. Oh, oh, how did the skin-tight red outfits look like? You know, down there. Yeah, yeah. and there's just like straight up you see nip. It's not as funny as Never Seen Ever Again's little accident, but um, anyway. <laughs> The circus, there's a circus in East Germany, it's going to West Germany, and they put the nuclear device on the train taking him out. And mm -hmm. Bond gets on the train, he hides in a gorilla suit, which is pretty great. I love that. Meanwhile, uh, General, oh god, I always forget his name. Olaf. No, no, the, uh, the, the recurring. Oh, the recurring guy, uh, Gogol. General Gogol has realized that something's up, and so he's following. 
Oh yeah, we didn't mention the great scene in like the Russian headquarters with all the military guys. Yes. I mean that's that's where Orlov explains his plan to take over the West. Um that scene is great because yeah, it, because it, of Gogol's like reaction to it. Did you yeah. notice when when Orlov is like uh, I'm the mad like cartoon Russian villain, we're gonna take over the West, and Gogol is just like in his chair and rolling his eyes. It's like a kid at school or something. Yes, and it's great. And we get we get a great death of Orlov is shot trying to run over the border. <laughs> we do get Bond takes a Mercedes Benz, loses all the tires, and manages to line up the rims to drive on a train track. Hmm. That That's a good one. Hmm. We have a lot of Bond's uh, more stunt double fighting on top of a train. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that. Um, but and... it's good stuff. That's also when he fights the knife-throwing uh, twins. Yeah. Well, he kills one of them before that. Yeah, and the other one wants revenge. Yes. Which does lead to them both falling off the train and we have a repeat sort of scene of um, in the woods scene from the beginning with double nine, which is really good. Oh yeah, especially the end when he does kill the other twin yeah. with the knife, and he's like, "And that's for double o nine. Which kind of reminded me of Moonraker, where there is a double o who's injured and Bond's worried about him. Hmm. I think that's in Moonraker, or it could have been Diamond. It's one of the early Fleming books. Yeah, I think it's Moonraker. That's when we first get like Bond at his uh, desk job, mm -hmm. and we yeah. get his first secretary. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway. anyway. But I really like that. Um. What I also like the stuff in East Germany was clearly shot in like Nuremberg because all the license oh, yeah. plates still say that it's Nuremberg, which is nice. Oh, and it looks like Nuremberg. Here's the thing: I went and visited Noah last uh last fall and one of the places i went was nuremberg nuremberg has not really changed <laughs> did you recognize places well the streets look the same yep it's all cobble it's so cool but yeah it, it, it's clear on most of this was shot in bavaria mm -hmm. when it came to the german stuff and that makes sense because the West German stuff we had America had military bases all over in Bavaria. I know because my dad lived in Bavaria when my grandfather was in the in the army. So he, mm -hmm. he lived there twice. One of them was around I think he had moved right before this film was shot. Hmm. But yeah, no, there, there's Nuremberg, um Bond's desperate attempts to catch up to this uh nuclear device part of the time he's running because he can't get a ride the end oh that's a great scene where it's like some like german teenagers driving up towards him and they're like oh come on we're gonna take it with us and then they just drive off which you know what that reminded me of hmm? you ever seen halloween the return of michael myers oh which one is that Another... that's the fourth one fourth one okay and Only bits and dr pieces. loomis his car blows up at the gas station and he, he's, like, hobbling along. It's, like, a similar thing. I guess that was a thing in the 80s to have older men run, run behind cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but every everything with Roger in Germany here is really great. Like, after that, he gets picked up by, like, a cliche Bavarian old couple, which was and great. trying to give brats and stuff. Yeah, it's nice. It's very nice. And Roger was German. I listened to it a couple of times because I was amazed by it. He's actually pretty good. It's probably the best German in the series, spoken by a Bond actor. Yeah. And, uh, and then he steals a woman's car. So we can get a car chase in this movie. And he drives it through a, a, a U.S. Army base, because that's where the circus is. And then he, he sneaks into... Sneaks into a, a trailer and he puts on clown makeup. I don't know how he had time to do that. That doesn't make any sense. But he, he disguises himself as a clown, 
he convinces the uh, the general, the U.S. general, that oh, uh, we need to. There's a bomb. There's a bomb in the cannon. Hmm. And what I like about this, this is clearly even more so like referencing, you know, the be- the beginning with 009, mm-hmm. where you can tell, oh, the same thing kind of happened with 009 investigating and finding the circus and being dressed as a clown. Yes. So it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah, thank you. This was Ghost uh, directed by George Lucas. <laughs> but yeah. Um, that's why I love this scene. I, that's... In context, it, it works, and it's an intense sequence with Bond in like clown makeup, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get rid of the bomb like before it blows up. Yes, um, the, our our Russian general's dead by this point because he runs over the border and gets shot by Americans, mm-hmm. and he gets the last little talk with Gogol, which is nice. Yes, and um. Khan runs away with his turban, turban muscle, and he, and they're like just stealing shit and burning shit. <laughs> like after after they escape, because they just they basically leave Octopussy to die without telling her. Yep. And so once bon- Bond defuses the bomb, he and Octopussy and her. Her, her, her group of women infiltrate Khan's uh, castle thing, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's great. I haven't. We haven't seen. It. We got this a little bit in the last film, but it's just more. It's like a higher. Like there's more stunt people. See all mm-hmm. these women just using bolas and stuff, just killing people. And then Bond shows up though, in a hot air balloon with Q. That is so awesome. And it's just the British flag. The Union Jack is the balloon. Yeah. And it reminded me of Spy You Love Me, where he has the parachute that's the Union Jack. Yep. Q gets a couple good, like, couple good moves in there. Bond. Bond uses an AK. I think this is the first time that's ever happened. Mm. Reminds me of Spectre when Daniel Craig one-arms an AK pistol. And swings it around and manages to hit everyone in like the greatest uh, action set piece ever. Oh, the boring shootout at the Spectre headquarters. Yes. <laughs> oh, you, yeah. Your favorite. You've told me many times. That's yeah, that scene when you play a video game on like super easy. <laughs> it's like Battlefront 2 when you get the hero character, <laughs> it's when you get Darth Maul. <laughs> mm hmm. In an OG Battlefront 2, and you just mow everyone over. Yep. Great, great action scene. But this action scene, another reason I like it with all the women fighting, Bond getting like essentially his own army, you know, mm-hmm. like the people that he teams up with over the course of the movie, taking on the bad guy and his group. Yeah. That's fun. And I I don't I think we lose it somewhere in the 90s. Because with Brosnan, it's the thing that he becomes the one-man army. Yes. And I think that's because the video games were popular at that point. Yeah, but I don't think we had that a lot since... I don't remember if this is the last time we get it, but I don't. I can't think of anything like this in the Craig era, for example. Of, like, Bond and his good guy, you know, comrades that he assembled over co- yeah. the course of the film. No, I don't think we get that. We don't get in the Dalton era, either. Hmm. And I don't... I think that was more there wasn't time. Oh, yeah, and the way those movies are set up. You know, with small-scale spy thriller and then personal revenge. Yeah, but I want to talk about Bond on the banister, and he's shooting all the guys, and he realizes that he's going to smash his nuts, so he shoots the little thing at the end of the banister off, so he doesn't... his manhood. But uh, the final... The finale of this movie takes place on the outside of an airplane, and it is some of the best stunt work we've seen in a while. Yeah. It rivals the Moonraker opening. Yes. I think they were trying to just one-up it. Oh, obviously. I think that's the theme of this movie. We have to one-up it because they got Sean Connery (laughs) for that other movie. Yes. It's a Bond... 
Bond stunt double. Which you can clearly, even on my like low-res DVD, which looks like probably what the film looked like back then in the cinemas, even there, you, there are a couple of shots. Let me let me just explain this to defend Roger Moore. No actor would do anything like that. That Tom Cruise, except Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Well, Tom Cruise wouldn't have done it in that era. Mm. Tom Cruise didn't start doing that till he got into his like forties, and he decided that he had to like just do crazy stuff. It wasn't until Mission Impossible, and I'd argue that. The weird stunts in Mission Impossible didn't start happening till the fourth one. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but they're fighting on the airplane. It's so clear that, that the parachutes are under their clothes because they're yep. so really bulky. And that makes sense. You can't fault them for this. We, I mean, we have to appreciate like actual stunt work like this. Oh yeah, no, this could easily have been CG today. But, yeah, I was because I was watching this and in my head, like for no reason, I imagined like No Time to Die with Bond and the flying thing that turns into a submarine. You know, the uh, Escape from LA machine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Back then, they had to think, like, if we can't do it, like, for real in camera, we're just not gonna do it. And every once in a while, you'll have Roger Moore on a blue screen. Yeah, you gotta sell the effect. And I don't even think they do that, because they can get away with him looking through the windows with the park plane. Yep. And that, honestly, I liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Um, But he and Octopussy jump off the plane, plane crashes... Villain dies. Villain dies. A horrible, painful death. Turban guy falls to his death. Yeah, which reminded me of what's later going to happen in License to Kill. Oh no, uh, Living Daylights has the airplane. Yes, because Living Daylights is very similar to this movie. Mm-hmm. But does Except, its own thing. Yeah, and the story is more clear and easier to follow in a way. Yes. But um, we get the ending... Bond's pretending to have a broken leg and the, it's, he's fine. He's fine. He's, he gets to bang Octopussy on her female-powered rowboat. Yeah. And that's it. That's a solid movie. Yeah. Solid beginning, solid end. It's solid a fun middle. movie. What a concept. I'm, yeah. We're running out of the fun movies. Sadly, sadly. But yeah, this one, it's like they had a story and it was similarly grounded, like for your eyes only. But then they just, John Glenn was like, oh, I'm going to do like Spy Who Loved Me-esque over the topness. And I think it's a result of like um, Never Say Never Again. Yes. Where they were just like, okay, we have this story, decent enough, but we got to make it more epic than for your eyes only. We got to bring back uh, the over-the-topness a little bit. A little bit. It doesn't go too crazy like Spy Who Loved Me or Moonraker. And exactly. that's what I like about this. It's There are, there are high stakes, but it's, it's dialed back a bit. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest a Bond movie should be. Yeah. And even the silly stuff in it. Like we said, in context, like the clown... At the beginning, it works because it's such a what the hell is going on moment, and then Bond oh my has... god, he has the balloons attached to them, and like each time the balloon pops, and then he looks in like terror, and because of his makeup, he looks even more like horrified at what's happening. Uh-huh. And oh, something they play with at the beginning, which I wish they did more of. Uh, when it takes a while before they reveal the knife thrower, it's actually twins. Yes, which they have to the seem like the knife thrower is following the clown, and he's away in the background. And then the clown turns, and suddenly the knife row is right in front of him. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. Um, but yes, good will- villains and like henchmen all around, memorable. Yeah. Uh, the Bond women, Octopussy, yeah, more, played by Maud Adams, she's good. Mm-hmm. And like we said, age appropriate. Yes. But. This could have been another great send-off for Roger Moore. He had two great send-offs. In a row! (laughs) Yep, but we gotta have a third one. And we're gonna see how that turns out. 
What I also want to point out, I like that her name is just Octopussy, and we never get the real name. Yes. Which is weird hearing Roger Moore say her name. <laughs> yeah, he I know said... I know the, the villain, Kamil Khan. He just calls her Pussy. Uh-huh. Which is interesting, because you just think Pussy Galore, Goldfinger. Which, yes. that's, that's a whole other topic. This movie couldn't have been made today, at least not with this title. And even back then, oh. I want to know how they got this past censoring. They said it was a Fleming book. I know because I watched some behind the scenes and I was hoping they would go a little bit more like in depth and they were just like, it was just like the actors talking about it. Like, oh, they told me the movie I was going to be in is called Octopussy. And I was like, oh no. But then they told me it's based on the Fleming short story of the same name. Ha, huh, makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that was Octopussy. Join us next time as we continue. 83 Summer of Bond, although it came out in December, with uh, Sean Connery's epic return in Never Say Never Again. And then we're going to decide who is the winner of this Battle of Bond. Yes, and we'll Spo rank all of, his, all of uh, Connery's movies. Mm -hmm. Spoiler, Octopussy wins. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone got that. <laughs> yeah, we have to make it clear. <laughs> anyway, have a good one.